Today on Ag News Daily. DPH Biologicals is committed to becoming a leader in biofertility and providing effective biocontrol solutions. So this transition for us to DPH Biologicals really signifies the focus on biological technology, the focus on innovation. Good afternoon and welcome to today's Tech Tuesday episode, which is brought to you by the National Pork Board. Request your free on-farm sustainability report at porkcheckoff.org slash sustainability. And I am joined on this Tech Tuesday by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how's your Tuesday going? It's good, Ash, and I spent today doing a little media training with some folks from the Iowa Soybean Association, so I was talking and working with some growers this morning, so that's always fun. We were doing media trainings on like tips and tricks to become better interviewers, so it's always kind of fun to do that from a reporter perspective because obviously we interview a lot of people. We certainly do. You know, when we were back at NAFB, I was explaining to people, you know, what I do on the podcast and that kind of thing. And they were just amazed that we interview people every single day. Yes, at least one day. Sometimes we do multiple if we're trying to stock up some things like we did at the NAFB convention. So you just never know. Well, Delaney, my Tuesday hasn't really been as exciting. I'm kind of wrapping up the semester here. So I had one final test before finals this week and next week. So I haven't been, um, you know, doing as many cool things as you have been, but I have been looking at the news today. And I do have a follow up from my story that I reported on yesterday about China closing off some rail imports from Russia just as a precaution from COVID-19 as we're seeing the Omicron variant kind of ramp up here. And it looks like a few other cities are taking part in this as well, and particularly the city of Manzahuli in the northern Chinese region of Inner Mongolia is a small border town near Russia, and they said that they would suspend taking some non-containerized rail cargo as well. And there were 41 domestically transmitted cases with confirmed symptoms of this Omicron variant in that region of Mongolia reported on Sunday and Monday. So I think that these cities are really taking a zero tolerance policy when it comes to the Omicron variant. Um, I think Beijing is another city that I read that's taking this zero tolerance approach and kind of shutting down travel again. And I believe I read actually earlier today um, that the state of New York, or maybe it was just New York City, um, filed for another state of emergency because of the Omicron variant just in preparation. So it looks like we are starting to see some trends here. Yeah. And as you know, we talked to Brian Split yesterday, the markets are definitely reacting to that. The funds are getting out of some positions, liquidating some positions in the fear that we might have another potential lockdown, unfortunately, globally, it seems like, Ashton. So a lot of fear when it comes to the commodity markets today. But you mentioned Russia there. I'm going to take us one country over because this is a weird story. This honestly, the way it feels like it's playing out, I think would make an interesting Netflix docu-series, Ashton, because I am big on watching documentaries. We've been watching one on basically different um, sporting events that have been fixed or, you know, judges have been paid off or athletes have fixed games, et cetera. But this one's a little different, not dealing with sports, obviously dealing with agriculture. 
And it is really bizarre, but apparently there is a North Dakotan farmer by the name of Kurt Groshzans, not pronouncing his name probably correctly, but originally from Ashley, North Dakota. And apparently he is currently in a Ukrainian jail for the attempted assassination charges against their current agricultural minister, Roman Leschenko. And so apparently this Lachenko character, who's the current agricultural secretary minister for Ukraine, reportedly was a former business partner of this North Dakotan farmer and was accused by the North Dakotan farmer of embezzling about hundreds of thousands of dollars from his farming operation. I don't really know all of the twists and turns of this event because the article I read today didn't really have a lot of history about their two relationship. But apparently this North Dakotan farmer paid this hitman to go after Leschenko because they had a lawsuit. I think that the money was paid back, but then Groshans decided he wanted more in damages and extra losses because his business suffered them while he was still continuing to run them, minus some capital, obviously. And so he paid the hitman about $250,000 so I don't really know how it's going to unfold. Apparently, his family has reached out to North Dakota's congressional delegation, as well as the State Department and the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine. But it's just kind of like a very much Netflix docu-series is how I would envision something like this to unfold. And it's really weird because obviously it does. I mean, the only connection is that he's a farmer and this Lashenko character used to collaborate with him in some capacity. It doesn't even say whether or not it was related to the farm. I assume it was, but just very odd. It sounds very odd, Delaney. And, you know, you talk about docuseries and just what's going on in this, you know, situation. It reminds me of the similar situation on a Netflix docuseries. I feel like, I don't know if you watched Tiger King. Unfortunately, we watched the second season last week and I've lost a few more brain cells. See, I haven't completely watched. I think I've only watched one episode. And of course, this season, I feel like the major topic of discussion is whether or not, you know, Joe did hire a hitman uh-huh. or anything like yes. that. So I I feel like that's uh, kind of similar there. So maybe you're on the right track and need to go over and work for Netflix. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I don't know anyone at Netflix that works there, but this seems like a really good, well, good and bad. I feel like they'd paint this farmer as a crook or, you know, probably not very particularly pleasant, but it just is an interesting story that's unfurling. We'll probably never know anything more about it, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting to share today because I'm really into the docu-series type of, uh, of stories on Netflix. So if any of our listeners have any good ones to recommend, I would be all for it. Well, Delaney, I don't know if you were paying attention to the date today, but it is November 30th and the EPA is likely going to miss its deadline to release renewable volume obligations under the RFS, which is something that we have, of course, anticipated here. And we've heard from Senator Grassley, and he says that not meeting the RVO compliance deadline for 2019 or 2020, as well as failing to release a proposal for 2021 is bad 
bad news for biofuels producers as well as farmers. And earlier this month, we know that EPA did propose an extension to the RBO deadline. But Grassley tells Brownfield Ag News that President Biden is kind of going back on campaign promises to support the RFS. So it sounds like there's some tension there. Yeah, I mean, this happens every administration, I feel like, and they always miss these deadlines. So I can't say that it comes as a surprise, but we've been touting that they would be releasing this for probably a month or so now. Yeah, I am, you know, not super familiar with things like this. So I think that I'm a little bit more confused than you are, Delaney, or maybe some of our listeners who are a little bit more familiar with government relations and those kinds of things. But I'm a little puzzled. Yeah, it is definitely a little puzzling nonetheless, but I want to jump over here and chat about John Deere's recent earnings announcement, because of course we know they were on about a five week strike where a good majority of their workforce was not working. But John Deere just announced that they've posted a record annual net income of nearly $6 billion. So it appears that that strike really did not have an impact as of yet on their balance sheet, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I just have one other thing that I wanted to talk about today that I thought was pretty interesting or exciting, I guess, for some of our truckers out there, because the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration has extended the waiver for commercial truckers federal hours of service regulation through February 28th of next year. Originally, this was going to run out today on November 30th, but this rule limits truckers to 11 hours of driving time and 14 consecutive hours of on-duty time in any 24-hour period and requires prescribed rest periods. And we saw from NPPC, uh, a thanks to the administration and the Biden administration and Transport Secretary Buttigieg for the extension, saying that it ensures that livestock truckers can get hogs particular to market safely and efficiently and make sure that truckers hauling feed can get those essential supplies to farms. So some good news there. Absolutely, Ashton. And I'm glad you followed up on that story. But uh, before I get into any other news here, I also wanted to make a quick mention of of course, this week's sponsor on the podcast is the National Pork Board. We're going to be chatting tomorrow with the pork producer family of the Mogler family, which is pretty famous here in Iowa. Ross Mogler is going to be chatting with us about these new sustainability reports that they've been putting together. But as a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for the people, pigs, and planet. We're going to talk about that on the podcast tomorrow and how those three things encompass sustainability. However, doing what's right must also be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow the public's trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm's sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can help increase production efficiencies and improve your bottom line. You can request your free report today at porkcheckoff.com org slash sustainability. But Ashton, like I mentioned there, I do have just a few other pieces of news today. This is an interesting one, and I think it's very timely because, of course, today is Tech Tuesday. But Canada, which is, of course, a very big dairy producing country, has announced that they are investing 
in a thing called the Milk Movement. And it is spelled like moo, so I got to pronounce it that way, which is a part of a continuing collaboration intended to advance cloud-based software for dairy producers to help connect all players in the raw milk supply chain. Now, I don't know a ton about it yet. This just popped up in my news wires today. I think it would be an interesting one, though, honestly, to probably get a future Tech Tuesday uh, interview with because they are putting cloud-based software, blockchain-type software, from what I understand, to map the supply chain, which is something we've talked a lot about on the podcast. And a lot of companies are starting to dive into that. But really, we haven't seen a ton of folks implementing that. But the government of Canada is really committed to investing what they call clean technology that lays the foundation for a stronger, greener, and more sustainable economy that creates opportunities for Canadians. And this recent investment is a way to help them meet their climate commitments of reaching net zero greenhouse gas emissions by 2050. I think they invested something like a couple million dollars here into this new uh, one and a half million Canadian dollars into this new investment startup, the milk movement. So like I said, they're probably a cool Tech Tuesday interview. I'm going to email that to you right now, Ashton, so I don't forget about it. But uh, I have just kind of other two other quick pieces of news here before we hop into the markets. And that are they, these are market-related pieces of news. So I thought it was timely to fit them in here. You know, we talked yesterday, Ashton, quite a bit about South America because we're watching really closely here to see what kind of conditions are going to be developing across southern Brazil and Argentina as we head into full-on La Nina conditions now, which of course are hot and dry. And we've seen about 90% of the soybean crop is in the ground. And most soybeans uh, and soil moisture need to be replenished here, a lot of analysts are saying, in order to aid in the germination process. So drier than normal conditions are expected. We're still, the markets are still really closely watching that right now. But the other thing the markets are watching is, of course, fertilizer and input costs. And I thought this was interesting, but economist Scott Irwin, of course, from the University of Illinois, said on Monday that we're seeing a little bit of a double-edged sword here because we've seen really strong commodity prices for about two years now, which encourage farmers, of course, to expand crop plantings, maybe pull acres out of CRP, maybe look at planting a higher value crop. And he said that's going to significantly impact the planting area for 2022. He said even with the 3% or even with sharply higher fertilizer costs, he's thinking that the corn area will rise by about 3% here in the United States, which is kind of the opposite of what a lot of folks were thinking. You know, he's thinking corn plantings could total somewhere around 96 million acres and that soybean plantings will actually decline about 1.7 million acres to about 85 million acres, which would be extremely bullish for the soybean markets, obviously not so much for the corn markets, but just an interesting dynamic that we're at right now. And of course, we really won't have a good feel on acreage until, at least from the USDA's perspective, until that March 
plantings, planting intentions report. But until then, we're going to have a lot of speculation in the markets about what actually shapes up here acreage-wise. So certainly a lot of things are weighing on the markets today, Ashton, including, of course, like you mentioned there, that Omicron, Omicron, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, the new strain of the COVID variant. Well, Delaney, before we get into the markets here, once again, want to talk about NPV since they are today's sponsor. And as a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for people, pigs, and the planet. However, doing what's right must be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can help increase production efficiencies and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.org sustainability. But Delaney, I am ready to talk about the markets today. What do you say we go ahead and hop in? Absolutely, Ashton. And we're still seeing a lot of those different factors weighing on the markets today. South American weather, potential increased acres next year for the corn market, Omicron, COVID variant. So we really are continuing to see the sell-off trickle into today. We certainly did not get a turnaround Tuesday as we see a lot of red in the grain markets today. December corn closed down 14 cents to end at 567. The March down 14 and three quarters, ending the day at 567 and a half. Soybeans gave up some major losses today as the January contract shed 24 and a quarter cent, closing at 1217 and a quarter. The March down 25 and a half cents, closing at 1226 and a half. In the wheat pits today, the Chicago December contract down 33 and three quarters cents, closing at 773 and three quarters. The March down 35, closing at 787 and a quarter. Hopping over into the livestock markets today, we saw some of that weakness trickle in here, continue to trickle in here as well. December live cattle down $1.05 today, closing at one thirty five eighty seven and a half. The February down $1.40, closing at one thirty seven ninety. Feeder cattle again out into the deferred finish a little bit stronger, but front month contracts showed weakness today as this January contract closed 87 and a half cents lower, closing at 164.85. The March down a nickel, closing at 166.50. Lean hogs finished mixed on the day as the December contract added 97 and a half cents at 73.37 and a half. The February down 95 cents, closing at 79.97 and a half. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. December down nine cents today to close at 1807. The January down 18, closing at 1820. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's hashtag Tech Tuesday interview. Well, today we are talking about some new announcements over at Douglas Plant Health. Well, folks, we're fresh off of Thanksgiving weekend. And for today's Hashtag Tech Tuesday interview, we're going to be chatting with Mick Messman, the president and chief executive officer of DPH Biologicals, which is a little different name than maybe some of you are familiar with. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But Mick, you guys have a lot of big things in the works that we're going to talk about today. Well, Delania, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be part of your Tech Tuesday today. Mick, before we jump into some of the big headlines that uh, Douglas Plant Health 
slash DPH Biologicals is announcing today. Let's talk a little bit about your background and the background of the company. Will you walk us through your well-seasoned career in the crop protection industry? Well, thank you, Delaney. Um, I did grow up on a farm in Nebraska, so you know, my roots go back to production agriculture. I had the opportunity to spend the first 25 years or so with large multinational companies. And during that time, I really found myself being attracted to new technologies, as well as building new businesses within those companies. And one area that we were working on is an area that's evolving rapidly around biologicals. And I became very intrigued by the opportunity, um, thinking through it from not only a farmer's lens, but a consumer's lens um, on how we as an industry bring solutions that work for farmers yet are more uh, sustainable-based solutions um, and oftentimes biological solutions. So that's really uh, what brought me to Douglas Plant Health. And I'm excited today to be announcing that change to DPH Biologicals. So Mick, I want to know a little bit more about the overview of DPH Bio. Do you have an elevator pitch that you could give us? Sure. DPH uh, Biologicals, as you mentioned, uh, started as Douglas Plant Health. However, the history dates back to the late 90s and the roots of of two different companies. Uh, In 2018, Douglas Products purchased Growth Products and Agri-Energy Resources to form Douglas Plant Health. And since then, those technologies have been brought together and further developed to meet customer needs. DPH Biologicals is committed to becoming a leader in biofertility and providing effective biocontrol solutions. So this transition for us to DPH Biologicals really signifies the focus on biological technology, the focus on innovation, and the focus on expanding to additional customers. So Mick, let's talk a little bit about some of those biologicals that you guys are putting out onto the marketplace. Share with us a little bit more about how you got into this space and really what you own in this space currently. Sure. Well, how we got into this space um, is an interesting story, and it's one that goes back, as I mentioned, several years. Some of the legacy technology has been used since the late 90s, uh, and it's been used repeatedly by the same farmers. So that tells us that uh, the product definitely works. That product is SP1, which is now SP1 Classic and part of the newly announced Teratro platform. It's a complete biofertilizer It's been used on over a million acres um, over that time. And as I mentioned, um, with very satisfied customers that are repeat users. The reason for that is it's a unique product. It's a combination of microbes, plant extracts, and algae, and it drives consistent performance. We're excited about that consistent performance and DPH is innovating around that to form the TerraTrove platform. Okay, I want to follow up on something because you mentioned a biofertilizer, which really caught my attention. I'm sure it's going to catch some of our farmer listeners attention as well, because fertilizer has been such a hot topic over the past couple of months. How is a biofertilizer different from maybe a dry or liquid fertilizer that we see a lot of other farmers using? Well, the biological fertilizers are different in that um, they contain, you know, microbes as an example. So, for example, with SP1 Classic, which is part of the Teratrobe. Uh, platform. It's a combination of three things. Number one, um, based on a plant-based extract, which really creates the the home, if you will, or the environment for those microbes to work. 
Uh, secondly, it's, it has a, a unique blend of microbes in the product, also known as PGPRs or plant growth promoting rhizobacteria. These are the, the products or the part of the solution, if you will, that are the workers. These are the components that create the nutrient uptake and, and help make uh, those nutrients that are in the soil more available uh, for, for the plants. And then finally, uh, these workers, if you will, need energy, and that comes from a, a food source. And within SP1 Classic, that food source is algae um, that, is, that provides the carbon source for the microbes and the plants. So within SP1 Classic, it's a very complete solution. And that complete liquid formulation uh, not only performs in the field, but it, it, it is one that has um, excellent handling and application characteristics for the farmer. So we see it as a nice plug and play opportunity uh, for those farmers that are currently using liquid starter fertilizers. Mick, a lot of that is, um, you know, very techy, you know, not mm -hmm. something that I'm very well versed in, but I am a little excited here just to learn a little bit more about how these technologies are really going to add value and uh, benefit farmers. So can we dive into that a little bit? Sure. And to your point about you know, that last answer was a little bit techie. When I think about it through the legacy of growing up on a farm, you know, what I look at is, does this product work? Um, and how often does it work? And how easy is it to use? And one of the things, in my view, that has held biologicals back in the past has been uh, that they work. Uh, however, the biologicals in the past haven't necessarily worked consistently. And with the Territorial Platform and SP1 Classic, one of the reasons DPH Biologicals is so excited is around the consistency of performance, not only uh, where it's been used in the Eastern Corn Belt, but where we're testing and expanding its use into the Western Corn Belt, Pacific Northwest and specialty crops. And we're able to make that expansion uh, because of the value it creates for farmers. And so the value comes in multiple ways. Uh, first of all, it, it improves soil structure. And as a result of that, uh, you end up with better water and nutrient utilization um, that's much more efficient for the plants and then efficient for the grower and their operation. As a result of this, uh, farmers can substitute a portion of their Infero starter fertilizer with SP1 Classic. Uh, not only do they see the improved soil health, uh, but then they'll see healthier plants that are more capable of handling stress and ultimately producing higher yields. So Douglas Plant Health or DPH Bio um, now is really excited about the value that's created um, and the consistency in which this product has created value for farmers uh, for several years. And as you look at the value that you bring farmers, you know, the biologicals field, I feel like has really just exploded here over the past maybe five to 10 years and has a lot of farmers interested in doing things in a new way. Mick, as you look at the future of this sector of the agronomic industry, what do you see as the future here and how does Douglas Plant Health or DPH Biologicals, I should say, fit into that? Well, you're exactly right. The future is one where these technologies are going to become uh, commonplace in the industry. If you look at uh, the, the transition that's been driven by consumer demand, uh, societal and regulatory pressure, there's no question that more of these types of products need to be available uh, for, for farmers. Our philosophy on this is, is pretty simple. Uh, farmers are working to produce a crop on a very thin margin. They need products that work, 
and are sustainable. And so when we look at, at, at our technology and the territorial platform, again, it's one that's worked in multiple environments and it's one that we're very confident with the DPH Biologicals technology leadership team that we will innovate around. And so SP1 Classic is the first primary product that you'll see in the market from DPH Bio. Uh, in addition to that, there will become more biofertilizers um, in our portfolio as well as biocontrol products. So DPH Bio has the aspiration of becoming a leader in biofertility and providing uh, sustainable biocontrol solutions. Well, Mick, as we kind of wrap up our conversation here, just want to know where our listeners can find your new website if they want to dive into this themselves a little more. Absolutely. They can find us uh, at dphbio.com. And on there, you'll see uh, uh, quite a bit of information as well as the opportunity to contact us and engage with us. So we're very excited about the DPH Bio launch today. I'm excited about uh, the team that we have put in place that will drive increased innovation as well as commercial success in the marketplace. Well, Mike, thank you once more for coming on and chatting with us today. We certainly appreciate it. Well, thank you, Delaney and Ashton. It's been my pleasure and I wish you well and appreciate the opportunity to speak with you this morning. Well, thanks again there to Mick from DPH Biologicals for coming on and chatting about everything that's going on there. Of course, they had that new announcement today of the name change that we discussed. But Delaney, I'm always excited to catch up with those in the tech industry as well as just the ag industry. I feel like we've been doing a lot of catching up this week and it's only Tuesday. That's true. We have, but we had a long week last week or a holiday week last week. So there's going to be a little little bit of news to catch up on this week, I think. So folks, be sure to tune in with us as we bring you more updates later this week. Some great interviews that we collected at the NAFB's annual convention with key industry folks. But Ashton, until then, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.